Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Glad you survived the uh, onslaught of rain. We seem to be the only part in the world where rain is a scary thing, but it's, it's a good thing to have made it through. I want to begin this morning by asking you to read with me our theme verse for this series, and we're going to project it up here on the screen behind you. It's found in 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8. So just join me as we begin in reading this together. Here we go. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. To be godly means to think about life from God's angle, the way God thinks about life, to value the things that God values, and to see and love people the way God sees and loves people. The question in this series has been, how, how do we accelerate this kind of growth, this kind of godliness. Well, as it says in this theme verse, we become spiritually fit very similarly to the way we become physically fit. It requires training. Godliness doesn't just happen any more than physical fitness does. I don't know how many of you remember this, but back in the 80s, I remember a weight loss pill that came out. It was called Dream Away. Many of you remember this this pill. And of course, as its name advertises, it promised that you take this pill, go to bed at night, and the pounds would just melt away. You, you could literally sleep your way to physical fitness. Well, pretty much everybody knew that just couldn't be true, and sure enough, they were sued and went out of business because it's not true. You, you cannot ignore training if you're going to become physically fit. The same thing is true with spiritual fitness. And training always has two parts. There are the training tools, and there are the training habits. Every training tool is designed to accomplish something. So I brought a couple of my tools. Here's one of my fitness tools. You probably recognize this, and maybe this has caused some pain in your life as it has in mine. This is a dumbbell. Now, what is this tool designed to accomplish? Well, it's the building of muscle. But simply owning this tool, and by the way, I I have larger ones than this. I just didn't want to (laughs) grunt too hard up here as I was holding this. But simply by owning this dumbbell doesn't, in fact, make my muscles any stronger. The tool has to be used as a habit. Sitting there isn't going to accomplish anything. It's as I use this tool in the habit of lifting that my muscles are strengthened over time. All right, that's enough lifting for one morning. I actually have to do it two more times, don't I, for the different services. Let me show you another fitness tool that that I have. This is a picture of uh, my road bike. Now, what type of fitness is this tool designed to accomplish? Well, it's cardiovascular fitness. I mean, there, it does, you know, strengthen muscles as well, but primarily the bike is, is going to increase my cardio fitness. But my cardio fitness isn't going to increase simply if my bike just, you know, sits there hanging on the wall of my garage like it is in this picture. I, I have to get on the bike, and I have to make a habit of riding it. And riding it once or occasionally will not improve my fitness. So in this series, we have been looking at five of the top tools and their accompanying habits that improve our spiritual fitness or our godliness. We began by looking at the tool of prayer and the habit of praying. And this helps us see the invisible God, to become aware that there's more going on than just what our eyes can see. And then we looked at the tool of church and the habit of gathering. And this helps move 
God's truth from just an idea or a theory in our mind to actual reality and action. And then we looked at the tool of the Sabbath and the habit of keeping the Sabbath. This tool and this habit helps us refocus what's important every week. We kind of get our list jumbled as we go through the week, and every week as we practice the Sabbath, it's a chance for us to say, oh yeah, that's right, this is what's really important, and this is the order in which it's important. Then last week, Adam talked about the tool of the Bible and the habit of studying the Bible, and this tool helps us learn God's ways so we can begin to see life from His angle and do life from His perspective. Today, we're going to conclude this series with our very favorite tool, and that is money. Now, what is the tool of money for? Well, pretty much everything, right? I mean, money is our favorite tool because with it, you can buy almost every other tool. I mean, it took money to purchase that dumbbell, to purchase the bike hanging in my garage. It took money to buy the computer that I used to write this message, to buy the car that I used to drive here in, to purchase this property in this building that we are sitting here in, to pay for the electricity that's allowing this room to be well-lit and comfortable. It's money that's going to be used to purchase whatever you eat later today. And I could just go on and on and on. In fact, money is such a powerful tool that it's one of the unique things that has the power to both impact us physically, visibly, and spiritually. It's not just a physical thing, it it has a spiritual component to it. Now, in order to impact ourselves visibly, we have to spend money. But if you want to grow spiritually and be impacted spiritually, you have to give money. That's the habit that this tool can be used for in growing us spiritually. Jesus talks about this very clearly in a very common passage. Many people may have, have heard this before, if not. This is a great statement that Jesus makes in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 21. He says, and this is really a warning to us, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why would he tell us that? Because that's what we do. So he's telling us, don't do that. That's what we all do. But here's my warning. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the reason that money is such a powerful tool for spiritual growth is that it's attached to our heart. As Jesus said, that's for where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. And the heart is the invisible center of, of who we are. It's in our heart where the the invisible list of what we value resides. It's in our heart that we come to our conclusions about how life works and whether God is an important part of that or not an important part of that. And so the heart is the, the place where godliness either is developed or is not developed. And very little can move our heart like money. Money has the power to move our heart pretty much quicker than anything else. Now, to help us understand how this works, you may think I forgot Valentine's Day. I did not. I went out and bought this uh, red heart-shaped balloon, and uh, I attached a dollar bill to it on the end of this to give us an illustration, a visible illustration of what Jesus is talking about here. This string represents the fact that money is, is attached to. It's connected 
to a heart. They're, they're tied to one another. So if the heart moves, money follows. It's attached. We, we've all experienced this. You know, for example, if, if you were to see how my wife and I spend money, you would notice a new category pop up a couple of years ago, and that's when we became grandparents. So what happened is our hearts moved towards our granddaughters, and guess what? More than a dollar followed, right? <laughs> Some money followed that. I mean, my wife just told me a few weeks ago, I just, I just couldn't help it. It was too cute. I had to get this for them. And I agreed. I mean, I wasn't upset at all. It's like, of course you had to. You only got one, why not more, you know? <laughs> That's just the way our, our heart works. And so what Jesus is saying here is, is the opposite of this. I mean, this is true. Your heart moves, money follows. But Jesus is saying it's also true that your heart will follow money. If the money moves, the heart will also follow because the string is attached. That's why he says, for where your treasure is, you see, the money is the lead. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we've all experienced this as well. Let's say, for example, you buy stock in a, in a company, you will suddenly find yourself interested in a company that you could have cared less about earlier because your, your money is there and therefore your heart or your interest is suddenly there. The string pulls both ways. Now, the point Jesus is making in this passage is that if we let our heart do all of the pulling in life, we're going to end up with a treasure pile that in the end is worthless. It's going to drag all of our money onto a pile of visible treasure where it can be eroded and, it, and its value can go down and it can be stolen. And in the end, it's zeroed out. It's absolutely worthless. So what Jesus is saying is, but if, if you decide to lead with your giving, with your money, and you begin to give some of your money to the God of heaven, to the things that will endure in heaven, then you're going to end up with a treasure that well, can never be diminished, can never be zeroed out, can never be stolen, can never be taken. And what I've noticed over time, in my life personally, as well as in other lives, is that without the habit of giving, our heart cannot become godly because our hearts are attached. We, we cannot snip this string. And I, I've seen this many times. I, I've seen someone who really you know, gets motivated. They, they want to grow spiritually. They want to develop in their relationship with God. And so they start one of the other four habits that we've been talking about. Maybe they start reading the Bible, or they start praying, or they start going to church and getting involved in a growth group because they really want to grow. And these are all great things. We've talked about the power and importance of all these. But I've seen it over and over again. Is they get to a certain point, and, and they just stop growing. They kind of plateau. Things don't really change, and they, they begin to get frustrated. Why, why am I not growing? Why, why are things not changing? Why am I not maturing in my relationship with God? Why, why aren't things changing much? And the reason is because their money is dragging anchor on their heart. See, the truth is you will never be where you should be spiritually when your heart is following your money somewhere else. I mean, if, if your heart is not moving in the direction of God and it's always moving somewhere else then your heart's just going to be going there. 
And there's, there's only a certain amount that you can do to kind of bend your heart in a certain direction. Eventually, the money just, it, 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 it drags. And I've seen this happen over and over again. In fact, I used to be very reluctant to talk about giving for obvious reasons. I mean, lots of people think, well, all the church cares about is your money, and I don't want people to think that. We're actually doing fine financially. But what I realized is that this, over and over again, especially in our culture, but I really think across time, this, this is the anchor that just keeps people from moving on in their relationship with Christ. It, it just keeps them from growing. And I have seen over and over again as people begin to give, as they begin to do what Jesus says here, boy, their heart really begins to move. It really is true that these things are attached. So how much money does it take to move a heart? Well, it depends on the person. I mean, I've just got a dollar bill attached to this. I was afraid if I put more on it, it might disappear between one of the services. <laughs> Hopefully the dollar bill will stay there. I have some backups if I need, but it's just a dollar. And so one dollar isn't going to affect my heart. I mean, it's probably not going to affect your heart. I mean, if there's a $100 bill attached to that, I don't know that it would survive the morning. I mean, that, that's a little more. $1,000? Okay, now we're talking about something that's going to move our hearts a little bit more. But again, it depends on the person. So instead of giving us an amount, Jesus doesn't say, so give this much and your heart will move towards the things of God and towards the concerns of heaven. No, Jesus gave us a word, and the word is treasure. He says, for where your treasure is, it requires a treasure to really move the heart. That's how you know the heart's involved. It's treasure-level giving. Treasure-level giving moves our heart. So how do you know if you're giving at a treasure level? Well, the New Testament gives us three indicators of treasure-level giving, and we're going to talk about these this morning. The first is this. Treasure-level giving is thoughtful. It's thoughtful. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, is the verse that talks about this. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, at first glance, it seems that this verse basically is saying, don't give until you feel like giving. Give emotionally. And that's what it sounds like. I mean, let, let the emotions of your heart lead out in this matter of giving. So don't give reluctantly. You know, just because you're feeling bad, and oh, I better give some more. Don't give under compulsion, just because you, you feel pressure. Give only when you can do so cheerfully. So does that mean we should just wait until a wave of excited, generous, cheerful, giving emotions roll over us? Well, for some of us, that, would, that might be a long wait. Not many people wake up in the morning saying, oh, I'm so excited I get to give some money today. So is that what it's saying, that we need to wait for this emotion? Well, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, and the Greek word here for cheerful, if you look at the definition of it, it means the readiness of mind to do what is good. That's why it says, decided in your heart to give, not feel in your heart to give. What this is saying is, 
you need to come to a clear decision about what to give, and then don't allow your emotions to sway you. Come to a clear decision on these matters. Because emotional giving won't lead your heart. See, the problem is emotional giving will follow the heart. And we need to give at a level where it's not just about emotion. It's a decision that we've made. When I, when I married my wife, there, of course, were plenty of emotions that revolved, were involved in that decision. But more important than my emotion was a decision I made to direct my heart toward her. I didn't do it reluctantly. I wasn't under any compulsion. I actually wanted to marry her. And I decided on that day to make her my greatest treasure here on earth. That's the decision of marriage. So have my emotions fully cooperated with that decision? Not always. Sometimes, but not always. I mean, there have been times when my emotions have said, no. But in those times, what do I have to do? I have to ignore how I feel and give what I decided to give three decades ago. See, a treasure grows when we decide to give and we keep giving regardless of our emotions. So treasure-level giving moves from what I feel like giving right now in the moment to what I have decided in advance to do, to give. Sometimes the emotions are are great, and sometimes they're not so great. But it's a thoughtful gift. The second indicator in the New Testament of treasure-level giving is treasure-level giving is proportional. As I said, one dollar, this one dollar isn't going to affect my heart. Probably won't affect your heart. Why not? Well, because it's, it's a small proportion of the money I have and the money you have. But what if this was all I had? What if this was my last dollar? Well, that'd be another matter, wouldn't it? Then giving it would, be, would have a huge impact on my heart. You see, it's never about the amount when it comes to the matters of the heart. It's always about the proportion. How much does this gift represent of my income, of, of the resources that I have? One time Jesus and his disciples were at the temple in Jerusalem when Jesus turned to his disciples and said, did did you see that? And they said, in effect, see what? And Jesus said, that that woman, she she just gave the biggest gift I have ever seen given. Well, that's pretty astounding. How much did she give? Jesus said, well, she gave two pennies. Now, in terms of an amount, that honestly had to be probably the smallest gift that had ever been given. But, you see, Jesus was able to see beyond the amount, and he saw into her heart, and he saw what this gift really represented, and he knew this was everything she had. She was a widow, and this was before any social structures of support were in place for women whose husbands had died. She was destitute, no one had taken care of her, and she was down to her last two pennies. And so for her to give these two pennies to God at the temple was, well, it was everything. It was a 100% gift. And Jesus, 
said, I've, I've never seen this. It's, it's always about the proportion, not the amount. It's always interesting to me when celebrities talk about you know, giving five dollars or $10,000. I'm thinking, that is a penny for you. It, it's about the proportion, not the amount. So what should the giving proportion be? I know you're getting nervous. 100%? Like the widow? Is that the point Jesus was making? Most likely not. So you can breathe a sigh of relief. Most likely not. In fact, there are only two times where Jesus talks about giving 100%. And they occur, interestingly enough, on on both ends of the economic spectrum. On on the poor end, it's these two pennies and this widow. But on the wealthy end, it's about a, a rich man who's heart was stuck. He knew his heart was stuck. He knew his heart was anchored to the things here on earth, and and he was trying to figure out how to get moving. And Jesus knew his heart, and Jesus says, you know what? You're going to have to cash in. You're going to have to sell it all and give it. And he, Scripture says, walks away a sad man because he's not going to do that. But those are the only two times you know, Jesus knew that it would take a 100% gift to get this man's heart out of the ditch. And the widow knew that God, only God could save her now. I mean, her two pennies are not going to save her from starvation. And so in a final statement of faith, she, she gave it all. But most likely, you are not in either situation. You're probably like most people are, needing money to pay for rent and mortgages and buy the food and put gas in the car and save for an emergency and for retirement, and needing to give so that you can keep your heart moving in the right direction and unstuck here in this world. So for that reason, God has given us a proportion. The proportion is 10%. He calls it in Scripture a tithe, which simply means tenth. Now, I don't know why 10%. People have asked me that. It's like, "Ah, I don't know. You can put that on your list of questions to ask God when you see him. I mean, why not 11? Why not 14? Why not 7? I don't know. What I do know is that for me and for those that I know well enough to know about what's going on in this area, this proportion continues to be and has been a tremendously effective tool in moving my heart and their heart toward God over time and freeing us from the ongoing and relentless pull of this world to live my life for something that will only last here. I mean, it's been an amazing tool. Not only for me, but for those I know. Now, the reason anyone stores up treasure is because they believe it has value. Not only now, but that it will be there in the future. Now, if you're, you're invested in something, your plan is that it's going to be there and hopefully grow in the future if it's going to be a treasure-level investment. Now, that's, that's easy to conclude with the things of this world because you can't see them. In fact, you can even make a mistake with that. You can think that this will be valuable in the future, and turns out it wasn't. But it's very convincing because you can see it. 
But what about the value of God and, and the value of living for heaven? Well, you can't see those things. In order to give 10%, you have to come to the conclusion that God is as real as the stuff that you can see. It's a step of faith. There's no way of getting around it. I mean, because to give 10% often means that you can't buy as much stuff, you can't invest in as much stuff as you, that you can see. I mean, 1% or 2% probably isn't going to alter your budget much. 10%, I promise you it will. It has mine and continues to alter mine. So what that means is a tithe is when God becomes real and heaven becomes as real as earth. But the truth is, over and over again, we're, we're just not sure that there is real. In the Old Testament, we read the story of a, a time when a recession came to Israel and um, incomes went down, crops were not coming in the way they had been. And so people stopped tithing across the board. Not everyone, but the vast majority of people just stopped tithing because, well, in their mind, they, they couldn't afford it. And their plan was that, you know, once the crops come in again, once the economy starts cranking again, then I'm going to start giving when things get better. Now, the reason they were thinking this way is because, like for most of us, the things that we can see are far more real than the things that we cannot see. And so God says this to them in Haggai 1, verses 5 through 6. He says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. In other words, let's just think about this a little deeper than the I can't afford to give. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Now, they were doing all of the things on this earth that should work. You know, if you're in farming and you, you want a big harvest, what do you have to do? Well, you have to plant a lot of seed. That's the way things work. If you're hungry, what should you do today? you should probably get something to eat. If you're thirsty, you should drink something. If you're cold, you should put on some more clothes. If you need money, well, you should get a job and work. You should earn some, some wages. They were doing all of these kinds of things. They were doing in their time, in their economy, what we do in our time, in our economy, to come up with what we need. But what was happening? Well, there was little harvest out of all of their seed, and they were just still hungry, even though they'd eaten, and they were still thirsty, and they were still cold. And the money that they were earning, it was like they were putting it in a purse that had holes in it. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It's like, what happened to it? Cars keep breaking down, things keep happening, and the money just, just keeps draining. Why is the big question? This is what God wants them to consider. Why is this happening? Why are things not working the way they're supposed to work here on earth? Well, in verse 11, God says, here's why. Here's what's really going on. God says, I called for, the drought, for a drought on the fields, in the mountains, on the grain, 
the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and all the labor of your hands. And he goes on to explain, I did this because you stopped honoring me. You stopped treating me as real. You stopped giving. God is informing them here that the, the most real factor in everything is not what we see, but the God that we can't see. He is the one that makes everything really work. We do have a role, but the problem is, is our work is kind of like turning on a light switch and thinking that you alone brought light to the room. I mean, that, that's the way we tend to think. We don't think any farther than a light switch. We flip on the light, I did that. Well, it is true that if you didn't flip the switch, the light wouldn't come on, but there's just a whole lot more going on behind the effort of flipping that switch. I mean, there are entire power plants and power grids, and circuits that stand behind just that simple flip of the switch. And if we were to step back and look and see and could notice all that is required for a single dollar to enter into our account, we'd realize that our effort, while important, is such a small percent. Now, every once in a while, we get a glimpse of that. And we flip the switch... And it doesn't work. And we get sick, and we can't earn money. And the economy goes down, and we can't find a job. And our assets go down. And it's in moments like that, well, we really get panicky because all we know to do is keep flipping the switch, and it's not working. And God says, you, you have no idea of all that's behind your work. Yes, go ahead and flip the switch. Yes, go ahead and plant. Yes, go ahead and invest. Go ahead and work. Go ahead and eat and drink and put on clothes. But I am the one that stands behind all of those efforts. And if you're ever going to be warm or full or well taken care of, it's going to be much less about you flipping the switch and much more about me providing the circuitry and the power to provide for you. Sadly, we don't often realize that until the money stops working for us and the lights don't go on. So when we tithe, what we are saying to our heart and to God is that we, we see more. We know there's more going on behind the scenes than we can see. And that to us, at least, God is real. It's not just an idea. He is real. He, he's more real than the stuff we can see. So if you are not tithing or have stopped tithing, I'm going to challenge you when we close a message in a bit to, to do that just for the next eight weeks, just to see what God might do. But let's go on to indicator number three. Treasure level giving is persistent. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7 says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So this is an interesting list. This is a list of qualities that require ongoing effort, that we, that we have to excel in. The word here literally means to keep working at it. These are things that you can't ever set down and say, whew, check that off, done. 
These just require ongoing effort. I mean, look at the list here. Do we ever get to the point with our faith where we realize, you know what, I, 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 I think I trust God about as much as I possibly can. I have no doubts. I have no struggles. I, I don't worry anymore. Well, no. We have to keep working on trusting God. How about speech? Do you ever get to the point where there's not a single thing you wished you hadn't said or wished you had said? I mean, most days, I end the day say, oh, I wish I had said it differently, or I should have said something, or I shouldn't have said anything. I mean, it just, it just to manage your mouth, it's just an ongoing effort. How about knowledge? Yeah, you know, I, I, think, I, I think I know everything. Sorry, but, you know, kind of, kind of know it all. No, I mean, we, we have to continue to learn. How about effort, as it says here, complete earnestness? Can you just stop, give up, stop caring about things? No, you have to keep putting effort into things. How about love? Well, that's, that's an interesting placement because that's obviously no one ever perfects love. I mean, it is, it is just an ongoing fight to learn how to love the people around us. Well, what it says here is add giving to that list. You, you'll just never arrive. You'll never be able to check that box off and say, all right, that's taken care of. What's next? You just have to keep working at it. Why, why these six? Well, the interesting thing about all six of these is they come from our heart, from that center of who we are. Now, what's going to happen to this balloon heart over time? Okay. The helium is going to leak out of this thing, right? And it's going to start sinking. In fact, Party City gave me a 24-hour guarantee that this thing would not sink. But I'm not so sure I trust them, so I've got two backup balloons in the back there that are floating on the ceiling, just in case this, this one leaks and it starts sinking. And that's just the nature of, you know, helium balloons. The helium leaks out, and the balloon's going to sink. Now, a similar phenomenon happens to the invisible heart. It leaks. Now, of course, not helium. What, what our hearts leak is perspective. You know, we get our perspective on something, and then it leaks, and it, you know, it starts going away. You know, just because maybe you had strong faith at one point in your life doesn't mean you're going to have strong faith today. Just because you know something, understand something now, doesn't mean that you're going to remember it or that it's not going to change. You're going to have to learn more to keep up. I mean, whatever career or industry you're in, you got to keep up. Knowledge leaks. And you know, especially about love, you, you can love someone deeply today and divorce them next year. That's just the way the heart is. These all, everything on this list requires ongoing effort because leakage is involved in each of these. And it's the same with giving. Giving, I promise you, will move your heart. But your heart will not stop moving. It won't stay put. It will leak. So what that means is yesterday's giving does not move today's heart. I've been tithing since my 20s. But all the giving that I gave to God in my 20s, <laughs> it has helped build a life 
but it, it isn't going to move me today. It moved me then and is a part of where I am today, but it's not going to keep me moving today. I'm going to have to give today. Only today's giving affects today's heart. That's why treasure-level giving is persistent. So I want you to ask yourself this question honestly. Don't answer it to anyone. Just, just think about this. Where honestly is your treasure pile? I mean, if, if Jesus was standing here and evaluating your treasure pile, wh- where would he say it is? Is it pretty much all here on earth? Or is there a large chunk of treasure in heaven? Again, your treasure is not where you say it is or where you'd like it to be or where you know that it should be. It's where your thoughtful, proportional, and persistent giving goes. One of the great and irritating things about money is money just does not lie. It It just tells the truth. It doesn't lie. So, as I said earlier, if, if you've never tithed, or maybe you used to tithe, and for some reason you've stopped tithing, I challenge you to give at this treasure level between now and Easter. That's just eight weeks. And, and I challenge you to do this because I want you then to evaluate at the end of the eight weeks and see if you notice any changes in your heart, any changes in your growth. I suspect that even in that short period of time, you're, you're going to see some growth. So if, if you want to take this challenge, I would like to pray for you about this. We've done this in the past, and this, is, this has been so powerful. And I want you to be a part of this if, you've, if you're not. I want to pray for you. So I, I want to ask you to let me know that you're doing this. I'm just going to pray for you by checking on the back of the connection card. You can just take your cards out and turn over. It says, my next step is to, and this is the first thing on the upper left, take the giving challenge. So again, if if you're already tithing or more than that, that's fine. This is for those who want to take this challenge because either they have not tithed or they've stopped tithing and you want to tithe for the next eight weeks. So let me read again what Jesus said on this. Matthew 6, 19-21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray together. Father, we... We thank you for every dollar and every resource that has our name on it. We know that we are just temporary managers of what is really yours. And we know that even though we've, we've worked diligently and we've put in effort to earn those dollars, that our efforts are a small percentage of what really has come from your hand. And we thank you for your provision for us. Many in this room have far more than they need. And it's your kindness and your goodness. And we thank you. 
But Father, we also recognize that our hearts are so easily anchored to this world. It's so easy for us to, to spend all of our time and all of our effort and all of our money amassing things that will only matter in this world. I pray that you would help us to see you and begin to trust you and to begin to give at a treasure level. I pray for those who are taking this challenge. God, I ask that you in the next eight weeks would do the unusual. You haven't promised that you would in eight weeks. You have promised that you would show up, but not in eight weeks. So we just ask that you do the unusual so that they would, would see what many of us have seen, that this, this is real, that you are real, even though we can't see you. I pray that you would grow us, you would accelerate our growth in this year. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.